Hey there, I'm Tracy Rigdon, and this is the Contrast Project Lounge Podcast. In this podcast, each episode is a journey through captivating interviews, engaging dialogues, and personal anecdotes that explore the depths of arts, culture, politics, and everything in between. My goal? To leave you inspired, informed, and entertained. Often random, but always relevant, always real, and practically nothing is off limits. So whether you're an art aficionado, a political junkie, or simply someone seeking a fresh perspective, this podcast is for you. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. Welcome back to the program. I want to thank each and every one of you for being here today. Joining me on the show today is Jacksonville's very own Miss Hope McMath. Hope, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm glad to be with you. Oh, I, I can't complain. Uh, like we were saying beforehand, can't complain. Now, I, I wanted to start out actually uh, a, a little bit about one of your uh, more recent uh, endeavors, uh, and that was being part of the transition team. Given your, given your, uh, you know, extensive background in arts and education and leadership and so forth, you are a perfect, a perfect pick for the job. Uh, the transition team for the incoming, the new mayor, Donna Deegan of Jacksonville, Florida. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Uh, well, first, I mean, it was a, it was a real honor to be asked to do it. I was um, actually very reluctant to do it because uh, I knew. I knew it was important and I knew it was going to take somebody really giving an awful lot of time and energy and focus to it. And um, yeah, I, I was convinced to do it and so did and actually did that work with a remarkable committee of folks from our community, which was one of the real highlights of doing that work. Um, we just actually wrapped up the work uh, at the time that we're recording this. Um, the final report to the citizens of Jacksonville has been published. And so it's very clear that our new administration under Mayor Deegan is really committed to arts and culture and not just committed through language, but really ready to put some resources and attention and amplification around the role of the arts in the vibrancy and health of this city that we all call home. And so um, I'm really proud of the work that we did. And it actually ended up um, being a whole lot of fun and, and actually pretty courageous work because some of the recommendations <laughs> we made actually might surprise a few people. And, you know, some of it would be the kinds of conversations people in this city have been having having a long time. We didn't invent it. Uh, we built on some of the good work that's happened before us, for sure. That's fabulous. You know, I was talking with uh, someone else that had helped with uh, uh, some of the transition, uh, Stephen Dare, uh, about two weeks ago. Mm. And he had mentioned one that one thing that was fantastic that I thought that he had mentioned was that there is going to be some grant money available to individual artists Yes. I mean, that was probably one of the most significant things to come out of the work. Uh, Mayor Deegan had been very clear that one thing that she wanted to address was how we retain creative talent in this city. Mm -hmm. And of course, that looks lots of different ways, right? It includes opportunities and venues where people can share their art. 
It includes having a livable city, which is really critical, right? Sure. Can people actually afford to live here? And are we a, a vibrant, interesting enough community and, and welcoming enough community for artists? But also it comes down to dollars, right? And so um, it does look like we are going to have for really the first time in a long time, um, grants for individual artists and creative entrepreneurs. So these are going to be dollars that the city puts forward, not just for nonprofit organizations, but for the people who are actually the drivers of arts and culture in the city. And I think that is going to be a remarkable boost um, for our community, not just the artists, but for everybody who gets to partake in what artists have to offer. Yeah. And, and, Seeing as how it is a grants uh, program, mm-hmm. uh, there's also going to be a learning curve for uh, a lot of artists who, who may not be uh, uh, familiar with the grants process, how to write for a grant proposal, that kind of thing. So I'm certain that there's going to be people in the community now that are going to be, uh, you know, helping these artists to get their grant proposal put together properly. I mean, we really have to do that, right? And we actually partnered the grant process with um, professional development for artists. Um, and so I think we're going to see some individuals and some organizations step into that space. Uh, in my opinion, as somebody who has um, written hundreds of grants, uh, mm-hmm. received a few, um, reviewed thousands of them, the grant making process, I do not find an equitable process. It tends to be a process very separate from and outside the way we tend to talk about our work and the way we value our work, the way we communicate our work as creatives. Um, and yet, yeah. we are in this system that sort of requires yeah. certain yeah. things to happen before we can pull down yeah. those dollars. So our goal is to both change the system but also help artists navigate the system that exists to their own benefit. So I do think we'll see um, lots of help as new folks enter uh, this, this world of grant making and grant receiving. That's, that's just fabulous. Uh, And I would say that there's, there's a lot of people out there that would be willing to jump in and help. I know that there's, I know there's a handful. There's gotta be. Uh, let, let's let's uh, let's jump on. Let's jump on to some of our some of our meteor sub uh, subjects here. Uh, uh, viewing art as a catalyst, the way you do uh, art in activism, mm. or or as they say, artivism. Uh, mm. How do you believe that art serves as a catalyst? I'm sure there there's many really good reasons, but in your own words, uh, serves as a catalyst for social change. And, uh, you know, could you share maybe, you know, a couple of projects that you've been involved in as a catalyst for change using art? Yeah, thanks for the question. It's it's sort of a big one. Um, uh, one, I think artists, which we were just talking about the role of individual artists, really sit mm-hmm. at the heart of that. I I think artists have a way of both envisioning the world that can be, um, mm-hmm. but also have this incredible ability to speak truth um, in the various art forms that are available to them. And often the speaking of those truths through the arts tend to create pathways for people to enter into 
these challenges that we're all faced with, you know, um, to say we are a divided world um, would be an understatement. And um, to to say that we don't have huge mountains that we need to be climbing for our collective progress is also an understatement. And artists can both see on the other side of that mountain and they can also create the means in which we actually all want to even climb that mountain together. And so, um, yeah, I'm a huge believer in it. Um, I mean, I've, I'm really involved in things like uh, uh, the world of arts and healing and arts and wellness, which I think is part of this catalyst for change, right? When we are able to be our whole selves, when we are able to heal our our personal wounds, our social wounds, um, I think that then creates fertile ground um, for us to be able to move forward. And I've been in multiple projects, whether those take place actually in healthcare settings or whether um, they're in cultural spaces where people are brought together to do that kind of grieving and healing, um, but using art to do it. Um, But I've also seen art play uh, a more radical role, a a role actually in the streets. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, history is full of it, right? But we see it even happening in our own community where there are are issues that are in front of us that need sometimes a language for catalyzing people that is not just um, the slogans and the statements, but where you have a visual language and you have um, the use of song and the use of poetry and the use of theater as a way to sort of amplify and shine a light on um, issues that matter. And maybe most importantly, to to lift up stories um, that mm-hmm. help us actually understand and feel more deeply. Uh, and um, yeah, so I think the arts can educate, they can agitate, <laughs> they can give us a new way <laughs> of, of sort of seeing the world around us and seeing each other, right? So, um, I mean, there's just example after example. And I, I try to use sure. my own art for that. And I do so with, with sort of limited impact. Um, but for me, the making of art, uh, it's, it's about giving voice, right? It's about giving Mm -hmm. voice to who you are. It's also about giving voice to the things that seem to matter and hoping that there are other people who want to sort of join their voices, um, with ours. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah. It sort of sits at the heart of what I, (laughs) what I try to be, what I want to be. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, about the the healing power of art and working, actually mm-hmm. working in, you know, medical uh, uh, spaces, doing that. Humanities and Medicine, for instance, uh, uh, a program at Mayo Clinic. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I have this just amazing opportunity on uh, almost a weekly basis to work as a facilitator with some remarkable people in the humanities and medicine program at Mayo Clinic. And uh, most of the work that that I do or that we do through Yellow House in relation to that is in um, caring for the caregivers. So it's really about um, doing creative, expressive workshops for uh, doctors, for nurses, for spiritual care advisors, um, for residents, so doctors in training. And we use the arts as a way for them to tap into their own humanity, um, to build their empathy skills and their empathy muscles, 
and to find respite. I mean, we're talking about people who work as hard, if not harder than anyone else in very difficult uh, uh, circumstances, often surrounded by loss. Um, and even those roles of being a doctor and a nurse have become somehow controversial <laughs> in recent yeah. years. And so we also try to show them how they can use the arts as a place of um, of their own healing, right? And their own respite. And uh, uh, yeah, that that work is is some of my very favorite work to do. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's really powerful. And um, and I know healers go beyond just those that work within a medical setting. And so what I learned mm -hmm. from them in the work also feeds other work that I try to do. Um, but yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> it, it's it's very good stuff you know I, I i spent 22 years in the medical field and so uh it, it's 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 definitely good stuff the, mu the uh, musicians come into the hospitals and and play their flutes or their violins or mm -hmm. you know we had one fellow coming into the icu kind mm -hmm. of on a regular basis at downtown baptist who played one of those wooden indian flutes and man, he he could make that thing sing. Yeah. And 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 the patients would just sit around and yeah. just watch him, and and it just felt better when he was done. You know. You know, it's interesting. We we actually just had a a, a session last week um, here at Yellow House, and uh, we did a a drum circle, a sound circle with these caregivers, and many of them hadn't touched a musical instrument since they were children. And um, and they were reminded about the power of just taking five or 10 minutes to do something that is creative, something mm -hmm. that that uh, invites you to be really present in that moment, not worrying about what's next, not worrying about the mess yeah. that you may have left at home that morning, but to be really present with yourself and with other people. And so when they can recognize how much they need that, it then means they are more likely to even prescribe that for their patients mm -hmm. and yep. and and patient families. And so it makes this beautiful sort of um, circle in which people get connected. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, again, you know, my mom was a lifetime nurse. Um, she was a critical care nurse for, oh my gosh, what would that be, 50 years. And nursing was never something I was interested in. I was always interested in the arts. But it is interesting that so much of my work now and even 15, 20 years ago was really focused on this sort of connection to healing. Uh, I just do mm -hmm. it in a really different way than my hardworking nurse mother did. It's, it is certainly hard work. I, 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 I can attest to that. 22 years in the ICU. Uh, now, Oof, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, uh, also, uh, you had mentioned previously here, <clears throat> excuse me, you had mentioned, uh, that, uh, the, uh, uh, you, uh, as art, as a catalyst. And part of that is more than just, more than just, uh, like the slogans and so forth, but uh, and mm -hmm. the visual appeal, the visual, you know, space that it takes up. And then people can remember certain things because of a tagline or a slogan mm -hmm. uh, back, you mm -hmm. know, when uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, and currently, mm -hmm. more recently, a lot of the stuff that's been going on in, well, throughout the South, but in Jacksonville in particular, and in your case, take them down, mm -hmm. Jacks. 
It's a slogan. Yes. Yes. That we all know. We all know what the heck it that is. means. <laughs> yes. 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 Uh, right. So with take them down, the role of art is a complicated one, right? Because a lot of people would say those monuments themselves are works of art and how dare we talk about, you know, trying to remove those from the public sphere. Uh, uh, I happen to believe and I stand alongside a whole amazing group of people who believe that those are um, more propaganda by far than they are art. And we're put up under false pretense. We're, we're put up to diminish and really terrorize um, mm -hmm. members of our community. And so um, so for about seven years in Jacksonville, we've had a, 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 a small, mighty, tenacious group of folks that is getting larger, thank goodness, uh, who are interested in, in getting these monuments removed. And we've had some success, but we're still, we're still working on it. Um, and, uh, and it's a, it's a critical time right now for seeing yes. that through because we've got, We've got some things in front of us that might take away the ability to remove those monuments, at least in the in the near term. So, um, yeah, I just think it's past time. And I, I think uh, our community, for the most part, is ready for those to go. They certainly are. Uh, you're talking <laughs> about you're talking about thousands of monuments throughout the uh, well. The whole East Coast, really, mm -hmm. but a lot in the South, Southeast, yeah. and so forth, that were erected yep. during the time yep. they were erected during the time of Jim Crow. And like you said, they were they they were erected for a reason. Uh, it was to, you know, basically terrorize the, the black community to tell them, "Hey, we're still in charge. This is our monument, and we're going to put this up here in your neighborhood so that you can see it and be reminded that we are in charge." That's right. And it's, you know, it was it was one of the most remarkable traditions of myth making, uh, I think, that we've ever sure. seen in this country. You know, the fact yeah. that groups like the Daughters of the Confederacy could say yeah. we're going to actually rewrite history and tell something that actually isn't true about the Civil War and isn't true about um, the era of enslavement and lynching and violence and rape against, you know, um, black mm -hmm. people on this land. And uh, it, taking these down is sort of, is, is getting us back to the truth, right? And uh, it's, I, I find it remarkable that people will literally continue to defend keeping those monuments in place, yeah. even once yep. they, even once they know. I mean, if you don't know, you don't know. Right. But once educated and once you are aware of when these were put up, who put them up, you read the texts of the of the speeches that were made when they were, mm -hmm. you know, inaugurated and christened. Uh, it's just so clear why they exist and uh, they just don't need to be there, especially in public spaces anymore. And some people right. will say, you know, put them in a museum, put them in some other space. I personally could care less what happens to it after it's out of the public space. I have a good friend who's been leading really important work in Charlottesville, and they actually took the Lee Monument, uh, the very infamous Robert E. Lee Monument, and they have melted it down. And they're going to hmm. turn that metal into something beautiful 
Um, and I like that kind of process. I like the process of not just locking the monument up in some warehouse until somebody figures out what to do with it, but to really like reckon with that history. What does it look like to like literally reclaim that metal and that stone mm -hmm. and do something gorgeous with it. Um, and to me, that's what healing looks like, but of course not everybody would agree with that. So uh, that is true. Uh, it is going to be a hurdle. I understand that uh, Mayor Deegan is, is uh, behind removing these monuments. Uh, also uh, mm -hmm. that it, it's one of the larger monuments. The one we speak of the daughters of the Confederacy in Springfield park. It's going to be hard mm -hmm. to get that one taken mm -hmm. down. I, I I believe it's going to happen one of these days, uh, but then you have to also uh, look at that one that's right downtown near the river, the one of Andrew Jackson, and and Jackson, I, yes. and, and that would I, I that would be a tough battle. There are some folks in Jacksonville that don't want to have any part of that. I, I, you know, Jacksonville, it's named after our leader and all this. And little do most of them know that the man never even came to Jacksonville. That's right. That's right. So here's <laughs> something interesting about that. And you're right. I mean, I'm not foolish enough to think any of this is simple. If it was simple, it would have already been oh, done. Yeah. Right. And so taking down the women of the Southland will be hard. It will be more expensive if we stay focused on preserving it. If we just pull that stuff down and get rid of it, you know, um, we can do this. We can do this. The Andrew Jackson sculpture, I think, is just as egregious, if not more mm -hmm. so. Um, you know, that is a figure from American history who created such remarkable harm um, to the indigenous folk uh, of this land, um, to uh, black folk of this of this land, and um, uh, and to honor him, which is what putting up a large sculpture in a public space is it's it's not about education it's about honoring people um i think even though our city is named after him uh historically it doesn't make any sense that we're named after him and actually the arts and culture committee uh that was working on behalf of the transition made the recommendation uh to absolutely remove it um but to not be so foolish to think that we're going to actually rename the city but we can reclaim who it's named after. We're not saying we need to change the world's maps that have Jacksonville on it. But I do think we can creatively think about how do we, how do we call up that name Jackson and it not be Andrew Jackson, but be another Jackson. Uh, and so we're really <laughs> interested in that kind of creative thinking about what progress can look like. Yeah. Uh, and so I actually happen to believe that sculpture, too, will come down. And the emblem of that guy doesn't need to be on our city flag. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of work to do and it may take a while, but um, we're not going to stop working on it. That's fantastic. OK, uh, moving on as we continue to talk about art as a catalyst, <laughs> the. And and you're, I know about your involvement with the uh, Jewish community, the uh, Holocaust Memorial Gallery. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we'll mm -hmm. get we'll we'll move on to something else too after this. <laughs> but the the uh, the uh, the Holocaust being a facilitator for the Memorial Gallery, uh, it it you know it 
it certainly had to involve navigating some emotionally charged subjects. Yes. I seem to have this as a theme in my life. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. None of the, none of the work is, is terribly light, but um, again, you know, grateful to be doing it. I, I, um, I was brought in to curate the, the Holocaust Memorial Gallery locally when they were actually building the space um, to house a Holocaust Memorial, uh, the first one, you know, anywhere within this, this region. And um, it's located at Jewish Family Community Services, which is a remarkable agency, which is really a social service agency that serves tens of thousands of people a year. But one of the groups that they serve are the remaining hundred or so Holocaust survivors uh, that live between Palm Coast and Fernandina. And so it, it is really as a commitment to those folks that the memorial was created. Um, we chose to then wrap a small gallery around it to give us an opportunity to have exhibitions that would speak to the themes of, of our common humanity, um, uh, issues of, uh, of, of, of tolerance and solidarity, um, uh, as well as the real specific uh, information around genocide. And so we've had a, a series of exhibitions within that space that I've been very fortunate to co-create with um, other folks near and far. And, um, and then through that gallery, we created a a program to do Holocaust education, not just there, but also as a community outreach initiative. So we go to schools and community centers and faith-based organizations. I am not Jewish, so it's not my story to tell, but I do help facilitate first, second, and third gen Holocaust survivors to be able to share their stories. And it's been, um, a profoundly moving experience. Uh, it's one where I've learned a lot, um, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it's yeah, it, it's been it's been powerful, challenging. It's gripping. I tell you what, I tell you what, hope I got one last question for you. We're going to lighten this up a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> that's a heavy subject. Everybody I talk to about it has has marked feelings about it, visible. Uh, <clears throat> The future of Yellow House. Uh, uh, looking ahead, uh, what are your aspirations for Yellow House? Uh, I, I know you you've thought about this, and and how do you envision it? Uh, you know, involving as a platform for art and social justice, and and a gathering space for people to learn and grow and be with each other. You know, in this foreseeable future. Uh, so you know, sustaining Yellow House and being able to pour myself as fully as I can in Yellow House is, um, you know, one of my primary goals in the coming year and years. Um, making it sustainable matters. Uh, and so that certainly um, needs and requires my time and attention. Luckily, we're small and we're scrappy and responsive <laughs> and it takes it takes little to really do the work that, that we do. Um, but the work the work I hope matters to Jacksonville. I know it matters to our more immediate communities of um, the artists and the poets that we work with, the young people whose activism we try to support, the causes that we care about, our immediate neighbors, and, and making sure that those who 
live around us, um, uh, also are sustained both in sort of body and, and spirit. Um, and so, you know, my hope is to continue to do, um, exhibitions that matter with artists who have important things to say, um, to be a space where people can find their creative voice. If it's one that they haven't tapped, um, I want to put food in the bellies of those who, uh, <laughs> don't get, um, that three days a meal, three meals a day. Um, uh, and, and really just to have a, uh, a, a a, a space that is gracious and that is just and is open and is a place to find joy and where we find one another. Uh, I mean, people ask me all the time, like, what's next for Yellow House? And I feel like Yellow House is still evolving very much so. It's still in its infancy because it's not my project. It's it's the community's project. I just am holding that space. And so it's something different almost every month. It's certainly different from year to year. And um, it's hard for me to predict, you know, what that's going to, what that's going to look like. I mean, I wish every small community in Jacksonville had its own version of a yellow house, not that I would be involved in, but that could be owned by the neighborhood and programmed by the neighborhood and um, where the meaning would be created by the people who live around it. But um, so I don't know. I just, uh, I, I've sort of um, humble, humble desires in a way for Yellow House. I just want it to continue to be here um, to be whatever it needs to be um, in, in the moment that it's needed. Right. Uh, and so, yeah. So hopefully if we were to have a conversation in a year, we would still be here responding and adapting and making some good trouble and creating lots of art. <laughs> that would be my hope. And you, uh, you just celebrated what, six years over there, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We hit our six year mark, which feels really good. And isn't there something about seven years that if you make it to seven years, you're more likely to be able to keep rolling. There's some sort of benchmark or maybe that's in a marriage the seven-year itch means that it's going to fall all fall apart i don't know but uh uh yeah so but you know that i do not take that for granted that we've we've hit six years because it's uh the first year was incredibly hard uh, and i was certain that we weren't going to make it and then during covid um if there had not been uh support coming mostly from outside our community but also from within jacksonville to keep us going um, so I, um, I am very grateful that, uh, every time I open the door of this little yellow abode, I am really grateful <laughs> that it's here and, um, that people want to be a part of it. It's, it's super cool. It's super cool. It, it, it is very cool. It is very cool. And I tell you, it's been very cool talking with you. It's always a joy to talk with you. Hope. Thank you. Uh, you, you, you always you. have an uplifting message for people, no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're certainly more than welcome to uh, return to this podcast anytime. Thank you so much. I always love seeing you in person. And this was super fun too, because I love watching all the interviews that you do. So it was an honor to be with you today. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much. And we'll see you soon in person. Bye. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, that's a wrap. Another fantastic episode of the podcast. You can find us on all 
the social media platforms, wherever you serve, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter X, threads, wherever. Don't forget to like, share, and comment. And on our YouTube channel, don't forget to like, share, comment, and smash that subscribe button. If you're streaming audio for the podcast, you can find us wherever you get your favorite podcast programs. In the meantime, I like to tell everybody, take care of yourselves and each other. Until next time. Peace.